All right, next book of the day. You can see I'm on a little kick with these little books that have a lot of knowledge for you. We're going to talk about one of the people with the most insight on how you can live an amazing life. The much maligned yet controversial yet fascinating philosopher of all time, Frederick Nietzsche. So, uh, this little book here, if you want to know about Nietzsche, it's the best book I've ever seen. Now, man alone with himself. Every superior being will instinctively aspire after a secret citadel where he is set free from the crowd, the many, the majority. One thing, I might not have met you in person, but I can bet that you don't want to be average. And that's what I, you know, I was, I was in England when I bought this book at Waterstones, their version of the American Barnes and Noble. And this book, that little, you know, I like Nietzsche, but this fascinated me. Every superior human being, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you see yourself as a superior human being, and you aspire to be set free from the crowd. So what did he say? What do we have to do to be set free from the crowd? To not just be another blip on the 7 billion people that are right here on this planet right now. More than 7 billion. What do you have to do? You know, people like to make it simple and they, or they like to make it hard. Let's hear what one of the great minds had to say. And it's amazing what the first line here is. Man alone with himself. Enemies of truth. Convictions are more dangerous enemies of truth than lies. So, I, uh, I knew a kid, one of my brothers, use an example. When he was a little kid, two or three years old, I used to say, his real name is Jacob. I was like, Jacob, what's your name? And he would say, Bibbit. And I was like, no, your name is Jake. But he was a person of strong convictions, even at two years old. Now, he's obviously way different now, but this is just him at two. Strong convictions. And I would say to him, and it was funny, we, my parents would have house parties, you know, people over, and he would walk around, and he was pretty mature and very smart for his age. People would come up to him and say, what's your name? And he would say, Bibbit. And people were, he would say it so forcefully with so much conviction that uh, people literally thought our parents had named him Bibbit. So they'd come up to my mom and be like, did you name, you know, is that your son? I met your son Bibbit. And we're like, no, 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 you know, his real name is Jacob. So one day I took Jacob aside and I said to Jacob, I said, Jacob, can you say J? And he would go, J. And I'd say, can you say Cub? And he'd say, Cub. So I knew, because at first I thought maybe he had a speech impediment. But I heard him say J and Cub, and I'd say, well, then can you say Jacob real fast? And he went, Bibbit. Bibbit. See, what had happened in his mind, and I bet you it's happened to you in yours, and it may be happening at this moment. You have decided with strong conviction, and the world we live in now rewards people with conviction by saying, look at that person, look how... Uh, Look how firm they are. Look how awesome and living life of integrity where they stick with what they believe. But what Nietzsche says here, 
that's the enemy of truth. Now, if you don't know who Nietzsche is, Nietzsche was a philosopher, philologist, all these, you know, Greek, studied Greek philosophy, but then he really became known for something called life affirmation philosophy, which means we don't know what happens after we die, but we do know that you've got time right now. So his basic point was, how do we create a philosophy that affirms the time that we live in today? How do you make a good life for yourself today? And he starts out by saying, now he doesn't say this, I'm going to fill in the words, you got to kill some of your convictions. You know, if you ever seen The Far Side, the, com the comic, the little cartoons, I think Gary Larson died, but they were hilarious. They still are. If you never looked at Far Side, they'll crack you up. But there's one, uh, Pat if you know who Patrick Henry is, he's the guy who who's uh back in the american revolution was one of the with the founding fathers and all this and he said give me liberty or give me death meaning he was a, wanted to be free of english tyranny and the king and he said i'll die for it you know and there's this far side cartoon and it shows this little kid at a dinner table with a family and he says pass the potatoes or give me death and the caption says patrick henry as a little child the basic point is that that's how a lot of us are. We have conviction about every single thing. Oh, I'm sure of this. It's like, you don't believe me? It's hard to know ourselves. In fact, Nietzsche, we're going to go into one of his talks on what he said about knowing yourself. But just ask people. They have opinions on everything. No matter how much a fool they are in life, no matter how clearly their life is in disarray, if you ask them about politics, they probably have a firm conviction. Oh, Republican, oh, Democrat, oh, conservative, oh, the other president did, oh, oh, this is the good president. Yeah. And you want to ask them, why are you so convinced? Because conviction and being convinced go together. And the sad thing is, they probably could know the truth, but they're so convinced. They're like Jake. They're like my brother Jacob was at two. Bib it. Bib it. He had just made up an invention that J corresponds to bib and cub or corresponds to it. And that's how most people are. They can't piece together the obvious signs. If you're in the 67 steps, that's one of the first rules in the 67 steps to getting what you want in life. You have to be able to go, what's obvious here? Is it obvious in politics that Republican or conservative always works? Is it obvious that Democrat or liberal? I mean. Come on, I feel like we're, think. You can make a clear case for both sides, which means that the answer in politics, you have thesis and antithesis, and then you have synthesis. It's probably a synthesis emerging, a blending of politics. When it comes to, um, you know, uh, your values, things that you're absolutely sure of, you know, no matter what those are, I'm not going to get too far into these because can generate a lot of hate comments on these YouTubes. I've learned this about people. I went on a on an interview. Um, I won't say which one, but I questioned a lot of the people who are on who follow this podcast. They are really into like psychedelic drugs to find truth, kind of like Timothy Leary and all this. And I was like, I don't really buy it. And man, I got so much hate comments. It almost cracks me up because these are supposed to be people enlightened by their experience doing ayahuasca or whatever, but they're giving the most hate on it. And look, I don't know if 
doing psychedelic drugs will give you more truth, but I bet you I know this. It's thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, meaning there's some good and some bad of everything, and you pick your poison in life. But they have strong convictions, and if you challenge those convictions, boy, the hate mail comes out. So I'm not going to get into things like religion right now because that'll bring out Sometimes I'm afraid people are gonna, you know, jump through the jump through the YouTube or jump through the podcast, and, and I'm like, hey, remember what Nietzsche says: conviction is the enemy of truth. You want to know the truth, then you better expand that mind of yours in a real way, and go. Have I ever been wrong before? Sometimes I meet people with such strong convictions. I ask them this question: Have you ever been wrong before? Yeah. Well, before you realized you were wrong in that thing. Were you absolutely convinced of yourself? Yeah. Well, did you learn your lesson? Why are you so convinced now? Like it's amazing, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. How I go from thing to thing, absolutely convinced. It's one of the 25 cognitive biases. It's called commitment, consistency, certainty bias. You got to get rid of it. It's a real enemy. It's interesting that in the 1800s, Nietzsche was way ahead of himself. So life affirmation philosophy, according to Nietzsche. He starts by going, you got to kill some of those convictions. Now, interesting, because I've been talking, if you've been watching some of the other talks, podcasts, YouTubes, I've been talking about knowing thyself. Oracle of Delphi, this was one of the wise words throughout history. Now, here's what Nietzsche says. You are very, or he says, I'm going to change the words a little bit, so it's related to you. You are very well defended against yourself against your own spying and sieges. Usually you are able to make out no more of yourself than your outer fortifications. The actual stronghold is inaccessible to you, even invisible, unless friends and enemies turn traitor and lead him there by a secret path. So what he's saying is knowing thyself, you knowing yourself, which by the way is, you know, it's hard for me to do an absolute hierarchy of the most important things you can ever do in life. I tried in my 67 Steps program. You're probably in it. A lot of people are in it. But uh, one of them is knowing yourself because how the heck are you going to build health, wealth, love, and happiness without knowing your own definitions and your own natural advantages and your own natural strength and your competitive edge and the mode around your abilities, inabilities? How do you know what strengths to build on What because you can't build on weakness? We got to know yourself, but Nietzsche brings up the problem. You're a well-defended fort. Your brain is a well-defended fort in terms of actually penetrating the inner motives that you have. Interesting thing, I won't talk too much on this, because he's saying it's an invisible fortress, which is crazy, meaning you can't even go to war and penetrate it because you can't even see it. So he says you need friends and enemies to turn traitor. That means to have the guts, to have the courage to stand up to you and go, you shouldn't be a singer. You shouldn't be doing that business. Uh, you think you're super sensitive? I don't think you're a sensitive person. Oh, you think you're super uh, well-read? Eh, you ain't that well-read. Oh, you think you're super this, that, or you, or vice versa. You don't think you're good at this? You need friends and enemies. Uh, as the ancient proverb says, iron, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It's that same principle. Make sure you're surrounding yourself, not just by friends, but by enemies. That's the key takeaway from this uh, philosophy of Nietzsche. Destination and paths. This is 
crazy. This is going back to this conviction one. Many people are obstinate, obstinate, stubborn about the path once it is taken, but few people are stubborn about the destination. What he's saying is we get it all backwards. See, you should be flexible in how you get to something and inflexible on the end game goal. So once you clearly define, I talk about this, your Eulerian destiny, what you should be doing with your life. You know yourself, you use, I've given five ways in other talks that you can know what you should be doing for health, wealth, love, and happiness, specifically career, so on. He says, most people are stubborn. Like they're like, I'm going to get a job at this company and I'm going to stick it out for two years. Well, you may not need to be there two years. Two weeks might be enough. You could be flexible. But if your end goal is you want to be a medical doctor or your end goal is you are going to be, you know, raise a family or your end goal is you're going to save the world environmentally or whatever it might be, you're going to make a billion dollars. He's saying be stubborn about the end goal but not how you get there. Most people are backwards. They move from thing to thing. They're not stubborn. They don't stick with one thing. But in between, when they're going after the wrong thing, they're very convicted, very sure of themselves along the way. He says that's a fool's path. Now, switching gears here, I really found this one to be fascinating. As you are listening to these, as you become focused on investing and doubling down on your own brain, something's going to start happening to you. It's a scary thing. You may have already felt it from friends, former friends, former romance, former uh, family members that you were close with. Maybe not former. I guess once they're family, once they're always family, blood, right? But he says the infuriating thing about an individual way of living. People always are always angry at anyone who chooses very individual standards for their lives because of the extraordinary treatment which that person grants to themselves. They feel degraded. So what he's saying is as you go down your path and you pick goals that set you apart, remember what I said on this book says every superior human being will instinctively aspire after a secret citadel where he is set free from the crowd, the many, the majority. So as you set yourself apart from the masses, okay, I don't mean that in an elitist way. I'm just saying it's naturally going to happen. If you try to lose weight, 70% of the world's fat, eating junk food. If you stop that if you stop smoking or whatever health thing. Uh, what he's saying is people are going to be angry at you because you're choosing a different standard for your life. He said without you knowing it, you they're going to feel ordinary and degraded. And he doesn't say, you know, Nietzsche's really good at throwing things out but not giving you the answer. So I'm going to fill it in. Far be it for me to answer for Nietzsche. But I think what he's saying is toughen up. Like the best solution for stress is just expect it. It's going to happen. And who cares? The way it's supposed to happen. Once you know it's the way it's supposed to happen, it won't bother you so much. Next, and this is just bounce around, which is cool. I like his mind. If you notice and follow my stuff, I like to bounce around. So now I can say I'm like Nietzsche. <laughs> he says the most refined hypocrite. To speak about oneself not at all is a very refined form of hypocrisy. I thought that was interesting. You know, I think what he's saying there is very easy to be over humble, right? To never speak up about yourself, to never pat yourself on the back, to never share your accomplishments. He's saying that's that's a refined form of hypocrisy. Basically, you're saying, you know what? I'm too good. I, I deep down think I'm good, but I'm too good for you to actually tell you about it. Sounds crazy, but I think there's some truth. I think 
We talked about this thesis, antithesis, and th synthesis, meaning you don't want to be at one extreme, always bragging about yourself, and you don't want to be at the other extreme, he's saying, never talking about yourself. Find the synthesis, the middle way, the balance. All right. Uh, next, annoyance is a physical illness that is by no means ended simply by eliminating the cause of the annoyance. You know what that means? Grass is always greener. He's saying it's an illness to think that you will feel better mentally simply by getting rid of one thing. You know, somebody asked me the other day, hey, Ty, I live in this one small town. Should I start a business and become an entrepreneur here? Should I wait till I can move to a big city? And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you start where you are? Start where you are. Because if you think it's an illness in your brain to think that whatever's annoying you in the small town about business, like, oh, I can't find contacts. Well, I live in Hollywood. You know, I was just in New York getting a place in London. Man, when I'm there, people complain about the same thing. Oh, I can't find anybody. I can't find friends. I can't find business. I'm in a big city, but I feel lonely. So you see, Nietzsche's saying the problems we have these are intrinsic to the brain. They're realities that we create that may or may not be grounded in location or causes. The cause is you and I. Now, you could ask where that comes from. You know, Christianity says it's from a, a sin nature. Islam, I'm not as familiar with Islam, but I think it says something similar. Buddhism says the reason we have this grass is greener is because we have too much desire. You know, if you could get rid of desire and cessation of desire, all suffering comes from desire. There's all these different answers that various uh, ways of thought have had to this. I think, you know, Dr. David Buss, who I look up to a lot, if you're not watching his YouTube videos, I mean, it's a sad world that there's only a few videos. Uh, you know, there's 10 million Justin Bieber ones, but guy like Dr. David Buss, who's just filled with immense insight, immense of the highest order. There's only like 10 or 15 YouTube videos, but he has explanations in why we have this drive to, to never be satisfied, and some of it's okay. Okay, that's what I said. I don't know, you gotta go to the extreme of Buddhism of destroying all, you know, cessation of all belief and desire, I mean, of all desire and going, I don't care about anything. Sure, that will definitely <laughs> remove some suffering, but it'll also remove life. You won't cease to be human. Uh, okay, next. Back to convictions. The man who has a lot to do usually keeps his general views and opinions almost unchanged, as does each person who works in the service of an idea. He will never test the idea itself anymore. He no longer has time for that. Indeed, it is contrary to his interests, even to think it possible to discuss it. It's a challenge for you. You willing to go deep to your innermost beliefs about life? Pick up some big beliefs that you have. I'm not saying you have to change them. All he's saying is have the courage to examine them. Let's pick some big ones. Is your country the greatest country in the world? Challenge it. Maybe you live in America. Maybe you live in the UK or wherever. Is there something special about your country? Challenge your beliefs. Is it a great thing that you're loyal to your family? Seems like there should be. It's a core belief that humans have, but think deeply. Are you just loyal to your family because... They have 50% of your DNA? <laughs> is that so virtuous? Or is it possibly more virtuous to 
you know, pick up a dying kid off the streets of Calcutta like Mother Teresa did. Challenge your beliefs. Are you vegan? Challenge it. He's saying once people get in their beliefs, they get so stuck in their ways, they don't periodically re-examine. And I'll tell you this, if vegan or Buddhism or Christianity or whatever you believe, liberal or conservative politically, if it's true, it will stand up to periodic review. And if it's not, it won't, and you'll move on closer to new ideas, new insight. All right, next one. This one's pretty tough here. Basic insight. There is no pre-established harmony between the furthering of truth and the good of mankind. I mean, that's a tough one. He's basically saying a few things, but one of them, I believe, is that uh, just realize you getting the truth out, you fighting for justice, uh, it's not going to be good for everybody. So don't think everything's going to be harmonious. Look what happens. Very interesting in history. If you study people who are real reformers, who really change the world, do you know what usually happens to them? They get shot or killed. Whether it was, you know, Julius Caesar, Jesus Christ, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, uh, Nelson Mandela wasn't shot, but he was certainly imprisoned for a couple decades, Malcolm X. Uh, now, were all these people, you know, perfect? I don't think Gandhi would consider himself, you know, perfect uh, in that sense. But were they bringing insight into the world? Yeah. What was the repercussions? It wasn't always harmony. So you're going to have to have courage that as you move through life, that you're not afraid of the friction. Uh, that might come. Okay. Next. Wanting to be loved. This one's going to blow your mind here. I'm going to challenge a core belief because everything you hear in the world now is like love is all we need. And I was reading Eric Fromm, uh, book on love, uh, which is a real good one. And I'm just going to remember convictions are the enemy of truth. So I'm just going to take a counter well, I'm not going to. Freud, does, I mean, uh, Nietzsche does. He says the demand to be loved is the greatest kind of arrogance. So I don't think that that means that you and I um, have to eliminate love from our life. I don't think he was saying. He's just saying the neediness is a form of arrogance. And maybe that arrogance is okay to demand from the world that you and I must command love from one person, two people, the crowd, the masses. Maybe that's something you and I need to step back and re-examine. Why? Are we that arrogant that we think had we never been born, the world would have missed out on something? Maybe. Maybe if Einstein had been born, something would have been lost. But maybe someone else would have come up with a better theory. Stay grounded. Stay humble. Next. Fantasy of fear. The fantasy of fear is that malevolent ape-like goblin which jumps onto man's back just when he has already the most to bear. And that seems to be the thing. You know, they say tough times come in. My cousin always says, Maya says, in threes. Don't be surprised that when things are down that it's easy to get into a negative cycle. And what happens is, he says, interesting, the words he chose, the fantasy of fear you know you ever been awake late at night and 
it's like three in the morning, four in the morning. I couldn't last night. I couldn't sleep. I was I'm so jet lagged and my body's all thrown off on times that it was like two in the morning or three in the morning and I woke up because I've been on London time, which is like seven eight hours ahead. And uh, at that time, boy, late at night, fear starts. To, oh, what if this goes wrong? And he, he calls it like that goblin, but he says it's the fantasy fear. Meaning, it's not even the fear, it's like the thought where you let your mind wander and the fear becomes scarier and scarier. So I think you shouldn't avoid fear, but you also shouldn't fantasize and make it crazier than it really is. That's a real evolutionary uh, mismatch that you and I do. Next, superficial knowledge. He who speaks a bit of a foreign language has more delight in it than he who speaks it well. Pleasure goes along with superficial knowledge. Price of truth to that. You get a big bang for the buck when you learn the first few words of French, right? But then when you got to buckle down and learn the whole French language, it's not quite as fun anymore. So I don't know if he's recommending that you learn things superficially. I would think he isn't. I think it's good to know that don't just pursue the pleasure pursue the end game why do you want to learn French is it so you can go live in Paris then what I like to do is project that image of me living in Paris which allows me to get past the lack of pleasure that I will inevitably find myself uh, or the state of a lack of pleasure when I'm having to learn the hard grammar of French so I take it as an inversion of what he's saying People whom we cannot tolerate, we try to make suspect. Isn't that true? That's one of the cognitive biases called the disliking bias. You know, if, if your worst enemy, if Adolf Hitler walked in and said 2 plus 2 is 4, and your, and your greatest, you know, Oprah Winfrey walked in and said 2 plus 2 is 5, all of us would try to make Adolf Hitler's 2 plus 2 4, like we'd try to make it suspect, we'd question it. I think you have to avoid that. Sometimes truth comes from the worst sources. So don't succumb to that bias. Our own opinions. The first opinion that occurs to us when we're suddenly asked about a matter is usually not our own, but only the customary one appropriate to our caste, position, or parentage. Our own opinions seldom swear near, swim near the surface. Remember earlier I said challenge your own convictions. Because so many things that you and I believe are regurgitations of the medieval mind. You know, challenge everything. Doesn't mean you have to give up all your convictions, but you need to put them to the test. As the saying goes, what happens when you put silver or gold to the fire? All the impurities are burned away and you're left with only the pure gold, the pure silver. That's what you must do. And challenge hard ones. Marriage as an institution. Is that a worthy institution? Now, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just picking some things that most of us just naturally go, yes, yes, yes. And most of us just adopt whatever our family. Your religion, what you believe. I don't want you to change it for me, but I don't want you to just believe it just because it's what you grow up with. Same with your politics. Challenge yourself. Origin of courage. The ordinary man is courageous and invulnerable like a hero when he does not see the danger, when he has no eyes for it. Conversely, the hero's one vulnerable spot is on his back. That is where he has no eyes. Little ignorance is okay. <laughs> they say about entrepreneurs, if every entrepreneur knew how hard it was going to be for him to make his first million or her first million or first billion, they probably never would have gotten the game. It's why the military uses fighter pilots that are 18, 19 years old. They don't know their own mortality. They don't know. So a little of that's okay. Probably don't want too much of it or it's a good way to die. 
Magical vanity. He who has boldly prophesied the weather three times and has been successful believes a bit at the bottom of his heart in his own prophetic gift. <laughs> Just because you've been right two or three times doesn't mean you're going to be right on the next one. Keep the eyes focused. Keep the logic going. Keep the simulation and learning from the great minds coming into your brain. 93, he says. These are little snippets. We're not actually doing 93. He says, profession. A profession is the backbone of life. It's a little bit like Freud said. He was asked what makes a man or a woman happy. He said, work and love. You got to get those right. If you haven't read Jonathan Haidt's book, Happiness Hypothesis, go to tylopez.com slash books. And uh, I got a link for that great book. Buy it on Amazon. Uh, okay, next. A little knowledge. A little knowledge is more successful than complete knowledge. It conceives things as simpler than they are, thus resulting in opinions that are more comprehensible and persuasive. So a lot of times, you know, like Einstein said, things should be simpler, but not simpler than they should be. So beware of the tendency to create convictions over oversimplified truth. Dig deep. There's a Alexander Pope. He says about knowledge, you know, Drink deeply at the well of knowledge or not at all, meaning it's better to be either super wise or just pure ignorant. The worst is in between. You probably have that friend that reads one book, one magazine, is now an expert. It's kind of like I heard, uh, what comedian was it? Uh, I forget who it was. Uh, and he said, I think it was Bill Burr, Louis C.K. or something. He's talking about string theory, you know, the physics term. And he's like, basically... Me talking about string theory just means I read one article and now I'm an expert. That's how much. Don't be that. That's called a, a, a dilettante. Uh, the first thought of the day. The best way to begin each day well is to think about upon awakening whether we could not at least give one person pleasure on this day. If this practice could be accepted as a substitute for the religious habit of prayer, our fellow men would benefit by this change. I don't know if you need to eliminate prayer but certainly in every belief and every religion that's spread around the world if you could bring one person pleasure that seems like a pretty good one remember what dr david buss talks about he talks about alliances and coalitions you and i must form coalitions that means friendships groups business partnerships uh, even if you don't believe in anything religious or any mumbo-jumbo karma, this spirituality, know that humans look for recipro reciprocity, reciprocal. If you're not giving to anybody, no one's going to give back. You'll have weak coalitions. And animals with weak coalitions, including you and I, we die prematurely and unhappily. Next, learning to love. We must learn to love, learn to be kind, and this from earliest youth. If education or chance gives us no opportunity to practice these feelings, our soul becomes dry and unsuited even to understanding the tender inventions of loving people. Likewise, hatred must be learned and nurtured. If one wishes to become a proficient hater, otherwise the germ for that too will gradually wither. Interesting, right? It goes against the grain, goes against the stuff. I love it. We live in a world of groupthink where everybody just says the same thing, loves all you need. Well, I don't know that's true. What's wrong with a little bit of hate? As Aristotle said, to be angry is easy. But to be angry at the right person, at the right time, for the right reason, to, for the right duration, with the right intensity and severity, that's hard. So to just hate all the time, that's easy. But to only hate something that should be hated. 
you know? Why not have hate? I think uh, righteous indignation. What's wrong with that? There's things that you should no longer tolerate that other people do to you. Abuses, injustice, unfairness. Now just remember, don't be too extreme. Some things are okay to be unfair and unjust. That's just a, a mental constraint that we create born out of basically selfishness that everything has to be fair. Not everything's going to be fair. After all, it's like Calvin and Hobbes, that funny cartoon, you know, the boy and his little tiger doll. He was saying to his mom, he was like, his mom's like, you have to do this. Come in. And he goes, mom, it's not fair. All the other kids get to sleep. I get to go out and play. And, he, and she said, well, life isn't fair. And he said something very smart. I'll never forget this. I read this when I was like 10. He said, but mom, how come it's never unfair in our advantage? Most of us, you and I, when it comes to injustice, we only care about the injustice that has to do with us, right? You might be watching this on your iPhone. That might have been put together by kids with child labor. So I don't mean to be a downer, but my point being, learn to hate some things, including injustice, but understand that you're doing some injustice to other people, so it's okay if some things are a little bit unjust to you within reason. Learn to love. I think that's interesting. We think that we know how to love, but maybe it's a skill like learning how to build a house, learning language. You, if you had not been born in the family and culture and world that you had been, you'd been born on a desert island like Lord of the Flies kids. You would not speak the language. You, you wouldn't know English. Obviously, if you're watching this, you probably know English. You wouldn't know English. English is learned, right? But we assume it's innate to humanity. The ability to learn language seems to be innate, but not English necessarily. So the ability to have emotions, the ability to have, you know, love is definitely, I know Dr. David Buss said, and Helen Fisher, she says all, all humans have love. It's not an invention, cultural. There was this movement in the 60s or 70s that people were saying that love was a man-made invention. It's not the Hadzas in Tanzania, the, uh, I forget how to pronounce her name. It starts with a Y in Paraguay, these hunter-gatherer tribes. They have love and they have hatred. These are innate things, but I think you can learn, he's saying, to refine those things down. And maybe Nietzsche didn't know that. He's not infallible. He's born in, I think, 1844, died in 1900. So he may have missed out on some of this stuff that we know now. So I said, Dr. David Buss, buy that textbook. It's in my uh, on my site, tylopez.com slash books. Man, it's not the cheapest book you'll ever buy. I think you can get it used, but it's the greatest textbook I've ever read. It's one of the, I was tempted to make it the number one most important book you can ever read, but certainly in the top two, three, four, five. All right. Love and respect, love desires, fear avoids. That's why it's impossible, at least in the same time span, to be loved and respected by the same person. For the man who respects another acknowledges his power. That is, he fears it. His condition is one of awe. But love acknowledges no power, nothing that separates, differentiates, ranks higher, subordinates. Because of the state of being loved carries with it no respect, ambitious men secretly or openly balk against it. It's kind of like in the military. You know, the officers don't eat with the regular uh, enlisted people. Why? Because it's okay for there to be a little gap there. Because there is, I mean, you could argue this, you could say, well, you can love and respect someone. Look, some of it's semantics. 
I'm not going to go down that path. What I will say is I've learned when great minds, when great thinkers think things through, like Nietzsche, don't immediately disagree with him. Contemplate what he's saying. Okay, we like, that's one of the challenges. We think everybody's equal. Not everybody's equal. They're superior people to me and people inferior. Now, that's a controversial thing to say because it sounds elitist. But I'm not talking about intrinsic value. I'm not saying if there's a lifeboat and a Titanic situation that I should be allowed to get on the lifeboat and quote unquote inferior people have to drown. That's not what I mean. But think of it this way. Uh, if you eat meat, you consider yourself superior to animals. If you eat vegetables, by the way, there's an interesting book coming out by uh, the guy, I think it's by the guy who wrote Omnivore's Dilemma, Michael Pollan, the you know Berkeley guy, great best-selling author, and he says plants are alive. We just don't know their language. So if you're a vegetarian and you think animal people who eat animal foods are such... Uh, barbarous people that are taking the lives of animals according to this guy michael Pollan, when you eat plants you're killing something that's alive too so you're saying i'm superior to plants so we're always judging ourselves in relation to people dr david bus talks about this i think the key is to not be arrogant about it i mean to see yourself in the big picture of the universe we are nothing but specks in time but there are hierarchies, there's hierarchies of achievement. Like when I go to the doctor, I shut up and he tells me what's wrong with me, right? Nothing elitist about that, but he is the superior person in that situation. It's, it's meritocracy. So it's okay for you to have some people. Maybe they're people who work for you. Maybe they're children. It's okay to not completely always be buddy buddies with every person allow there to be some separation, which for sure, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You've probably heard of that. So it's okay for there to be a little line of separation between, or at least that's what Nietzsche says. So a couple questions for you. By the way, uh, leave me, uh, do one thing for me. Uh, if you get value from these, subscribe to this YouTube, uh, if you're on YouTube, right below. Uh, that helps me out and makes it easier to reach you in the future with these videos. You can always unsubscribe later if you don't like it, but uh, uh, go ahead and subscribe. Click the button right below. If you're listening to this on my podcast, huge favor you can do, leave me a review. Um, good, bad, or ugly. Tell me what you think. Uh, I get a lot of value. It helps me know what I should do for you in the future. So it doesn't take, it takes a few minutes. If you want to be a real friend, <laughs> I mean that jokingly, but share me on your Facebook wall, Twitter. Tell people about it. Again, what am I? I'm just a dude saving, sharing ideas. That's it. I'm not the smartest man in the world. I'm not the dumbest. I'm not, uh, I'm full of blind spots. I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll look back on some of my ideas, but I am interested in spreading ideas and good ideas, not my ideas, but good ideas. And uh, whether or not I'm the perfect person to do it, I'm probably not. These people that we're talking about, they can add value to other people in your life, friends, family. So share that with them. And, uh, you know, I think there's some value, these YouTubes, these podcasts, I don't charge for them. So 
not doing it to try to get rich, but uh, we need a world where we combat all the stupid ideas. Get these ideas rolling around people's head. Get people thinking, you know? So, final. Always take action on things you do. Never just listen. Remember what the Dalai Lama says, three levels of learning, hearing, contemplating, and making instinctual. I want you to make some of this good advice, the good contemplation today, this self-actualization. Number one, what's your biggest, what, what, which of these things I talked about, lots of things, resonated the most with you? Number two, what's an action point you can take based on this, okay? Number three, I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna lead you into one. What's conviction that you need to challenge about yourself? It could be politics, religion, morality, anything. Challenge it. Throw it up there. If it's gold, it'll pass the test of fire, okay? Reach out to me at Twitter at tylopez.com. Subscribe here. Leave me a review. Oh, and don't forget, get on my book of the day. It's at tylopez.com. It's free. Uh, I think it's the biggest or second biggest book review club in the world after Oprah, okay? Uh, I send you a free book of the day thing as I read a book a day. They're pretty cool. People like them. It's free. TyLopez.com. Stay tuned for the next one. I'm starting to post these pretty often. So subscribe so you get the uh, newest updates. All right? Anyway, signing off. Talk to you soon.